Well, hello and welcome to Finding Our Way, our Southridge Church member podcast designed to give people the inside scoop on life in our church. Here's our host and lead pastor, Jeff Lockyer. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another edition of Finding Our Way. I am delighted to be able to hang out with uh, a dear friend and returning guest from the Chicagoland area, uh, representing, among other things, Community Christian Church, Carrie Lattisseur. Carrie, welcome back. Thanks so much, Jeff. It's so good to be with you and your crew. I'm uh, excited to get all kinds of updates about your world. So for people who have forgotten or uh, are listening to you for the first time, just give us a brief kind of summary synopsis of who you are, where you're coming from, and what's going on in your world these days. Yeah. Um, it's Carrie Lattisseur from the Chicagoland area. I'm in Naperville, actually, and it's covered in snow outside, but I grew up in Florida, so I'm having a heyday still with that. Um, I'm at Community Christian Church serving as what we're calling the Pastor of Innovation, which is a pretty dope title, if you ask me, and I'm getting to do um, lots of what we're hoping are forward thinking projects uh, for the future of the church. So I'm loving that. And then serve here as a teaching pastor for community online and at our locations and doing coaching and consulting work through New Ground Network, the organization I started to really come alongside churches and help them seize their vision and be intentional with what they're cultivating inside their doors. Very cool. I think some of our church members are listening, thinking, wow, pastor of innovation is a new one. We have a inspiration pastor, a connection pastor, an action pastor, and all kinds of other weird names. Sure. Uh, we probably need uh, an innovation pastor uh, on our docket. So I'll, I'll, I'll make a little note of that one. Yeah, for sure. Um, you and I, in a sense, go way back because uh, of our common connections back at, at Willow Creek and with the Willow Creek Association and whatnot. So, um, you know, knowing that uh, you kind of tracked with even different versions of the church, different versions of the faith, and and certainly, you know, back in the attractional model, megachurch movement of the 90s and early 2000s, a, a lot's changed in your world as a leader, but even as a follower. And so I thought we would sit down and kind of get all of your updates and perspectives on kind of what's changing these days. And uh, so I'm curious, just first off, in your own kind of faith journey and how you're understanding Jesus, when you think back to 10, 20 years ago, how has that been changing and been changing lately? Yeah, Um, I would say, probably the last five or six years, I have been kind of on a journey of what I would say, like rebuilding or reconstructing a faith paradigm. I went through just a season of real challenge where a lot of that, you know, deconstruction is a popular word, but a lot of my kind of paradigms fell short in a really hard season. And so I really sense that Jesus was inviting me to hold some of those up to the light and be willing to dismantle some of the frameworks or constructs or paradigms about who Jesus was, um, what what faith is, maybe even the difference between kind of salvation versus the fullness of the gospel. And I think in that time, I, I tried to, and I'm still very much on the journey of trying to even reimagine how I hold the text and read the text with a Jesus-centric lens, right? Like, what is the, the purpose of the Bible and how should this shape my life really through what Jesus came to do, which was establish the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. So I think I look back now and I'm like, oh, let me tell you about all these changes. But it's been several years of kind of transitioning through perhaps a, a deconstruction and then a rebuild building of a faith paradigm. And and so often, 
there's there's similarity, but also differentiation between people's de and reconstruction of faith and their de and reconstruction of the church. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about how your church community, because you've been a, a, a local church person the whole time. How has your church community kind of come alongside, supported, and, and nurtured that, or contributed to that rebuilding? <clears throat> Yeah, my own church community and I think the churches that I get to invest in, my sense is that so many people have been in this, oh, what I thought worked or what I held for this long is no longer is no longer viable or durable for this next season. I'm not sure if the pandemic is a part of that or if so many people were on their journey. I mean, I think here, even 2016, there were some political things that got illuminated that, you know, evangelicals being predominantly aligned with President Trump. And there were just, I think there have been some symptoms or signs along the way. My community and the communities I get to work with or churches I get to work with, I think have been wrestling with some of those same things. You know, the the mega church model or the church growth movement that happened in the 90s, I still believe was very well intentioned, right? This idea of like, we want to do anything short of sin to reach people who are far from God. And I think in some ways we diluted the goodness and the liberative nature of the gospel. And perhaps that even happened, you know, further back, like during colonialization, I think a lot of this happened. We we diluted what salvation and what the gospel actually is to make it accessible or to kind of throw the gates open wide, again, well-intentioned to try to bring people in. But there were some shifts that happened then that I think have been revealing themselves over the last few years. Maybe the fruit of some of those well-intentioned things that we did to dilute or reduce what the gospel is. So my own faith community, and I think a lot of those that I work with, this tends to be the type of work I get to do, are trying to reimagine what does that mean? What What is the role of the church to partner with what Jesus came to do, which is bring God's kingdom here to earth on it as it is in heaven? What does that mean about not just how do we pick apart how we've been structured, but how do we have a new imagination for what the church is intended to be and then seek to build around that? So my own community has had to do that in a, a variety of ways and is still seeking to do that in a variety of ways. And the churches I get to work with, same. Yeah, I like that language of uh, the difference between the intention and the impact uh, of of church in that era. I know we we came from that background and we're so inspired and, and uh, patterned ourselves after after much of the heart and even the, the model. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it feels like the heart to serve people, we call it the serving owl, right? To serve people yeah. with the love and the message of Jesus uh, and, and always kind of start with the, the person, start with the felt need in mind, start with them. From my perspective, it, it, it really cultivated a, a disproportionate era of consumerism mm-hmm. where we learn to receive from and to receive from the church and receive from God mm-hmm. and receive salvation even, but it totally skewed not only our understanding of the gospel and that I'm actually invited in to yeah. participate in the ushering in of the realities of the kingdom on earth as mm-hmm. it is in heaven, but even my relationship with the church and, and with Jesus, I'm invited to follow him. I'm invited to, to journey together in aspiring to be and become like Christ together uh, it's just a radical, radical shifts there. So 
Go ahead. You were going to say something. I even just think about the value proposition that we offered to people, right? Like the church I grew up in and the faith tradition I came from, it was this value proposition of like, you make this decision, you pray this prayer, and here's fire insurance for what happens after you die, right? Essentially. And and here's a list of ways you could try to be a good person and, and do some good things now. The difference between God's kingdom is breaking in all around me right here in the here and now, and my invitation to follow Jesus is to help usher that in and steward those moments. And then the church, I mean, yeah, it's a great community to help me live into that and to be an inbreaking of that. But that invitation is, is here and now, and it's active and participatory. It's not like here, you're all set in the afterlife, right? It's a, it's a living, breathing now decision. And I think the, the church that I'm a part of and the churches that I help serve are trying to figure out what does that look like to, to, change the invitation or the value proposition of what it even is we're extending to people. Yeah, which is great. I think that, that especially for leaders listening, it, if the local church won't come alongside and proactively nurture the de- and reconstruction question asking and doubt and all of that, uh, we're in big trouble. So that's all I'll say about that for now. But um, I guess a couple questions that I'd, I'd be curious and in your your personal journey, Carrie, is that so many people actually become unglued and they just end end up kind of off the rails through that process of, like you said, deconstruction. It's a real popular word these days. So as your faith is, I'll say, sanctifying or evolving, maturing and rebuilding, mm-hmm. Like when you look back, how is it held together and not gone off the rails? And I guess my second question then, if you want to put it together as a package is what do you see in yourself or in others as the differentiator? What's the key to a faith that can survive Mm -hmm. seasons of deconstruction? Yes. Okay. Um, (laughs) Several things come to mind. And one of those I would say is, my journey of the deconstruction and reconstruction, what I want to say up front is it is a very painful journey, right? Anything that you have experienced safety or security from a faith tradition being one of those things to be, to see the cracks in that and to acknowledge and accept the cracks in that and be willing to lean into those and explore why didn't this hold up or what is what about this no longer serves me or what about this have I been wrong about for most of my life and Jesus is inviting me to have a new lens to see that's a painful process and I spent many years of my life managing pain in all sorts of ways I think the majority of us do right whether that's workaholism or accomplishment or achievement or distraction or numbing with things like pornography or alcohol. Or, I mean, there's a myriad of ways that each one of us is, is patterned to handle our pain. And so, I mean, that was a big part of, for me on my own journey was be getting comfortable with discomfort and learning to tend to my pain in different ways, learning to make space for my pain instead of push away from my pain. And I think what this, along with theology, emotional health and mental health and psychology and sociology, I think opening myself up to learning from multiple fields in that way have helped me hold on to a much more embodied faith. This is now something that's a part of who I am and what I live out. So I think I don't know, exploring pain management in a whole new way and being ruthlessly honest with myself and those patterns that I had, a lot, the cracks in those things along with the theological paradigm. 
and a theology of the wilderness. I mean, that's my own personal journey is that I was gutted by an experience in the church and I was in the wilderness. And what I found is that Jesus really does want to come near to the brokenhearted. Like what I found was the true presence of Jesus in the pit of my pain. And that is what inspired me to want to pursue Jesus, even though at the time I wanted nothing to do with the church. And I questioned who God even was and what he could even do through this. The theology of of the wilderness for me that I think I'm still forming has led me to this much more embodied faith and a higher capacity to deal with pain and discomfort because that's a real part of life. Yeah, that's excellent. So, uh, you know, if you're, if you're pastoring someone who's in a a season of deconstruction or a a real gutted, like a dark night of the soul level uh, crisis, what are you doing? Like, what are you saying to them? I guess, first of all, or how, how are you shepherding them? And and what are you believing is the trajectory changing deal breaking difference between them kind of writing it off and abandoning it altogether versus recovering and restoring, albeit a a new, hopefully stronger Christ legitimate, legitimized Christ centered version of faith. Yeah, uh, I'll probably go off on some tangents here, I think, because I I think providing safe space for people to be where they are is where that begins. And I actually, the more I have thought about this, what does it mean to provide safe space for somebody who's wrestling in the faith journey? What does it mean to, as the Apostle Paul even says, to let people work out their faith, work out their salvation with fear and trembling, to not view my role as needing to be the answer provider? but perhaps the presence giver, perhaps the safety and the validation and the, and sometimes that's prayer partner. Sometimes that's fellow journeyer. Sometimes that's sharing from what my experience was, but the underlying sort of guise of that is I'm not sure that I can love people if I am expecting them to change or to believe what I want them to believe. And so I have to be able to show up and truly offer and extend safe space and loving presence irrespective of where they end up in that continuum. And what I have experienced is that when I'm able to do that, I can trust people with themselves and I can trust people with the spirit of God to be a part of their journey. And they're not feeling pressure from me to land in a certain place. And um, the trajectory is different when you know that you're loved irrespective of the outcome. And I think I'm to this place now that I would say it probably falls short of love if it does require that somebody change or believe what I believe or end in a certain place, if that's what it's predicated on. And so there's some deep wrestlings for me there. At the end of the day, I mean, that safety and that presence, I would point people to the Psalms. You know, there's a lot of crying out to like, where the hell are you, God, that I think we can point people towards. That's also really validating and comforting in seasons like that. Um, But yeah, that's what I'd say is safety and presence and safe space to wrestle. Yeah, I think, you know, church members who are listening who are parents or friends or have people, you know, in their small group and certainly leaders listening, I'd want us to to just take a moment and, and almost do a self-audit on our capacity to unconditionally love a person. Can we enter in and say, I'm in even if you're out? Like, I'm in with no outcome. Can we be in with no outcome? Or are we only in so long as it'll lead toward toward an outcome, that's a that's a tough question to ask. 
Yeah, totally. I, I think for church leaders listening as well, something that's validating and perhaps equipping for people on this journey. One, that's how you pastor people or hold space for your staff. I think we have an opportunity when it comes to our teaching and preaching ministry to reimagine even how we communicate. So I love when I'm talking about a text to talk about commentators that have two very different views on a text. Because that's so validating to people who are wrestling or wondering or on that deconstruction, reconstruction journey. So to say, oh, one scholar says this about this text and one says this. Isn't that so interesting that these people could have such different views? What does that cause you to do? Because I think that sets people on that trajectory of being open to the wondering and the wrestling and it validates that process for them. And again, trust them to to get to a place. But it's a different posturing or or positioning to preach from, then here's what I think is right and what you need to believe, right? Versus, because all of the texts that we preach from, you can find multiple perspectives on interpretive choices. And um, so that might be something as well for church leaders helping people on that same journey. Yeah, very good. Um, similar question would be not at such a personal level, but just in, in, in your church or just what you're observing in the church. You're pretty connected in in, in the church, not, not only across the U.S., but even around the world. And I, I guess we talked about what the church kind of was or it, where it's come from in, in recent decades. What, what are you observing today about how the church is changing or how it's wrestling with staying ahead of the curve of, of change as it embodies and incarnates Jesus in the world to a greater degree. Yeah, that's so good. Uh, I'm seeing lots of different patterns and trends when it comes to that right now. I I propose that um, there were lots of things revealed. I mean, I mentioned 2016, some just sort of things that we had to wrestle with in the church. I think the pandemic also was quite illuminating for people. And one of the things that has emerged in the last several years is the witness of the church in the West, I think most of us would say, does not accurately reflect the founder of the church or the founder's intent for the church. And this comes up like at the playground um, at my son's elementary school, I was pushing him on a swing and a dad is like, oh, what do you do? And I mentioned I'm a pastor and he's like, oh, is that, is it an evangelical church? And in my mind, I'm like, why would he even know this word? And where does this come from? And immediately I'm like, oh, he has seen this in the headlines in the last six months. Like, this is what's in his mind right now is that that's what I'm leading. And I was like, no, not like those churches. And I'm trying to backpedal what this means. But it was so insightful for me to know the average person living in the West, what they have seen on the headlines with the Capitol, you know, insurrection, what they've seen um, when it comes to evangelical support of Trump, what they've seen even in the the moments of racial reckoning that we've had in the last two years. I think when you look at the witness of the church in the West, it has strayed from the founder's intent and as from being a reflection of our founder. So when you ask, what am I seeing in terms of change? I'm seeing two things that are pretty stark to me. I'm seeing a lot of churches. Um, I think some people have really opened and are curious and see that gap between the witness of the church in the West and what it should be and are wrestling with how did we get off on this trajectory? What are the things that we are doing to contribute to that? Even unintentionally, what are the things we're perpetuating that we need to sort of take captive? Where are the ways we need to get more engaged in justice issues? Because justice and flourishing are 
truly tenants of the kingdom of heaven. And I'm seeing some people that are constricting that I think are, are seeing the same thing and it instills fear in them or concern. And, and even at times well-intentioned, they're sort of doubling down and closing. And so I'm seeing some people really open and getting curious and trying to pursue change. I'm seeing some people maybe reach for what once was or grasp for control or sort of driven by fear, constrict and, and double down on, um, I don't know if it's self-defense or, or defensiveness in general, you know, like they know their intentions, even though what, what the watching world sees is quite different. So, so I'm seeing those primary trajectories in the church right now. And, and if someone asked you, which I'm going to ask you right now, where do you sense God leading the mm. church in this next season or era? Like, yeah. how are you answering that question these days? Yeah. I, when I read the text and I see the activity of God all throughout the Bible, and when I see the ministry of Jesus and what Jesus came to bring and who Jesus invites us to be and become, I see this consistent arc of redemption and restoration. And so I perceive that whatever path is going to invite us to contribute to the redemption and the restoration of the world is going to move us back to systems and structures of equitability that lead to flourishing, that's going to lead us back to advocating for the marginalized or the oppressed or people who have gotten caught up in the spokes of a machine that we might have turned the church into. When I sense um, there's people whose voices have traditionally and historically not been heard, uh, I, I really sense, and this is even in my own heart and in my own journey, how God has has been orchestrating my own life. And I think there is an invitation for the church to expand the vocation of the church to be ambassadors of God's kingdom and to be people who usher in that redemption and restoration. That's where I, I sense that the spirit is calling us in this season. And so knowing, you know, whether it's the way seminaries train church leaders or the way conferences develop church leaders or just yeah. the, the garden variety passions, callings and capacities of typical church leaders. What, what kind of change do you mm -hmm. see that future or that era requiring mm -hmm. uh, not just churches, but of leaders themselves to bring about that change or to partner with God's spirit to bring about that change? Yeah. My personal instincts on this, and again, some of this is so rooted in my own story, but I don't think that we can be ambassadors of other people's healing. And I think other people's healing and the healing of these massive issues in culture and in all around us and, and even the healing of the earth, I think all of those are connected. And I don't think that we can help other people find healing if we're not on a healing journey ourselves. And so I think the trajectory of development for pastors and actually... I don't want this to sound harsh, but when I think about the number of pastors who have left ministry in this last season, I know some have left really hurt, some have left really burnt out. I also know a lot have left because it doesn't feel the same anymore. You previously, you could, you know, medicate any insecurity you ever had through what happened in ministry and through standing on a stage teaching. You know, there was a different, um, a, a different sense of validation and affirmation that came from ministry than there is today. And I think leaders that are not doing the work of reconciling the pain in their story and dealing with their own trauma and understanding their own patterns of how they deal with things or how they satiate pain or, um, 
how they understand healing in their own lives, I think they're going to miss out on inviting people to be a part of that healing of the world. And so trauma-informed conversations and diversity and inclusion and justice-oriented conversations and listening, you know, places and spaces where we're actually centering the voices of people who have been marginalized. Uh, I, I think those are some of the pathways to move forward in, in a healthy way to pursue our own healing, to be ambassadors and agents of other people experiencing that kind of liberating healing in their own life. Amazing. So in addition to how you're changing personally, how you're seeing the church change and where you're seeing it kind of change in the future, uh, I, I want to give a few minutes just to talk about how you're involved in even resourcing leader yeah. and church change. Because I know some of your extracurricular shenanigans include uh, involving churches yeah. and ministries kind of prepare and change for the future. So you're involved in this thing called New Ground Network. Uh, yes. Talk about what that is and how that serves and supports churches and leaders these days. Yeah, totally. And that's um, New Ground Network is a way that I, I tend to come alongside churches or pastors uh, more individualistically. There's one that's kind of communal that I can tell you about too, called the Post Evangelical Collective, where we're trying to do that uh, together collectively. With New Ground Network, it tends to be churches that are experiencing one of these pain points, right? Either recognizing that they have gotten out of alignment with the vocation of the church. Um, they're sensing there's some real change on the horizon that they are feeling called to, but are sort of at a loss for how to do that. So I get to create different tools and resources, different frameworks, even different modalities of coaching to come alongside pastors and their ministry teams to help them more effectively live into the mission of the church. And sometimes that's individual coaching. Sometimes that's team coaching. Sometimes it's retreats and helping them just um, e explode or, or blow up the previous paradigms that they had and then reimagine paradigms. Like if you just step back and talk about what even is the mission of the church, the reality is the mission of God, you can read all throughout the Bible, the mission of God was to redeem and restore the world back to him. That His intention was flourishing. And when we fell short of flourishing and brokenness became onto the scene, ever since then, he has been wanting to redeem and restore the world back to him. The church just happens to be the strategy through which God wants to accomplish that right now. And so what does it mean for us as church leaders in our unique context and our unique community? This is not like cookie cutter, here's Carrie's seven steps to success. This is your where you are, what's the darkness that you're called to bring light into? What's the healing that you're called to usher in? What does that mean for you? So I get to come alongside churches um, through New Ground Network and help them reimagine, reconstruct, revision what it is that they're trying to do. And then underneath that, what are the things that we need to move and shuffle and align and start doing and stop doing to actually embody this mission and extend God's kingdom in their unique context? So your work these days with churches and leaders in the come alongside approach mm -hmm. is pretty personalized and pretty customized. Precisely. No website with, yeah, here are the, the, the blog posts and the articles that we can take and apply, you know. Yeah, some of that stuff is out there that I'll write for other people. And we have we have a process that we lead people through, but it's really about discerning their 
unique next steps. So we're not coming alongside telling them what they are. I just want to come alongside and help discern and, and be a provoker and ask questions and challenge thinking that we might not realize has just become, you know, sort of insulated. And so I get to come along and stir the pot and provoke and ask questions and prod and help activate that sort of new work that people want to pursue. You talked about your uh, your incident bumping into a, a neighbor in the playground asking about being evangelical and mentioned that you're involved in post-evangelical work. It's an interesting term because I know that you've, you've chummed up with Mike Goldsworthy, who uh, was part of uh, a small group cohort that I spent a year being part of. And Mike's been a, a guest of the podcast before as well. So uh, we've got a, a bit of a, a history together. Now, you two are thick as thieves. What's happening in this post-evangelical space. Yes, I cannot believe we missed rubbing shoulders in the post-evangelical space, Jeff. We have to fix it. in my group. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's been really fascinating. I have served on the board for about the last year and a half of this organization that wasn't even exactly an organization. It's been sort of a movement that has emerged of pastors and leaders and artists and teachers who I think, you know, when we talk about how people have responded to this last season, it's a group of people who are wrestling on the reconstruction side. It's a group of people who are saying, what would it look like for us to lead Jesus-centered, justice-oriented, flourishing, pursuing, inclusive, empowering, like fully engaged communities of people? And um, it almost feels like this is something that the spirit has been doing and that we have just sensed we need to get in alignment with this and be faithful stewards or, or help cultivate what's happening here. And even the way we've done that, Jeff, as a team, like collaboratively, there's not been a point leader. Nobody's been getting paid to do this. It's really been just how can we be sensitive to cultivate, to discern together what are tools and resources that are needed in that space? And I think there's some really exciting touch points for connection, um, regional and national. And we even have people internationally wanting to host gatherings for the post-evangelical space. There's been some really phenomenal scholarship um, David Gushies agreed to be a part of a wisdom board and uh, Peter Choi and some other folks that are, are really wanting to come alongside and help us cultivate this space. So I think, you know, the New Ground Network work tends to be individualized. This feels like a collective. This feels like a movement of people that have a real shared passion. And I'll tell you, maybe just one story. Um, when I went to the gathering this year in Denver, we were just collecting. I, I went a, two years ago in South Bend. And Scott Erickson did some facilitation and some spiritual direction for us. And I shared with him what it felt like was somebody bringing me a glass of water in the wilderness. That's what the experience felt like, just being in that room with other people. And this last year we went and I, I would describe it like this. You go through your day and you might interact with one or two people who are like alive, like look you in the eyes and engage in a conversation with you and they're present with you. And I spent two days in a room full of people who were like that, like fully alive, present, attentive, both to me and to what the spirit was doing in this conversation. I think it was a room full of people who have been gutted in some way or cracked open in some way maybe by life, maybe by evangelicalism, like as an entity, but instead of going cynical, these people, each one of them in their own individual stories have gone um, in the pursuit of Jesus and wanting to reconstruct and reimagine and rebuild. And it's like, they've taken what that pain had to offer them and they're applying it to try to build something new. So 
I don't know if that describes the feeling of it, but it was like, it was electric just being with that many people who share this humble passion for what it seems like the spirit is stirring in the church. So that's supposed to even oh, That's fantastic. If I will, I'm going to want to know more about that another time. And I remember at the end of our last podcast, feeling like we needed three more and I'm feeling the same now. Um, l- let's wrap up with any just final thoughts or encouragements or uh, challenges either to our Southridge members or other leaders listening who track with us, you know, when it comes to just the ongoing change and sanctifying growth towards Jesus that's required for personally a thriving faith, let alone a thriving, flourishing church and kingdom for the future. Yeah, I mean, the thing that comes up in me um, just whenever you ask that question is just my own kind of wrestling or learning. I have learned that obedience comes before understanding. And so much of my own journey, I think, um, because it blew up those paradigms that I had, it it cost something in personal relationships and professional relationships with my mom and dad, you know, having conversations about what faith is and what faith means. And so I think if you're on that journey as an individual Christ follower, if you're on that journey at Southridge, if you're on that journey as a pastor, just obedience to Jesus the values that Jesus came to bring, this invitation to extend his kingdom and to embody the ways of his kingdom, I think that um, there's going to be resistance with that and trusting and obeying and following Jesus, understanding comes on the other side of it. But that was the jump I had to make was like obedience comes before understanding. And um, my prayer is that you would experience God's presence in the midst of those kind of refining, sanctifying opportunities um, that he opens up, that you'd follow Jesus and be obedient and that understanding would come and that so much fruit would come. But I know that it's not without challenge. Fabulous. Thanks so much, Carrie, for being here again today. Uh, pleasure to chat with you and see you. And yeah, I hope we hear from you again soon. Thanks for having me. I hope so, too. And uh, to all of you who uh, continue tracking with us, thanks for being here. And uh, we'll see you in about seven days time as we continue finding our way together. Take care, y'all.